In Luke chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Hmm. And he wasn't talking about government policy or bilateral, bilateral relations between nations because he said in verse 3, if your brother sins against you. He's talking about personal relationships. And it's interesting that many rabbis in the first century, when Jesus said these words, many rabbis taught that Jews were only required to forgive others thrice. Three strikes and you're out. And that may be why Peter, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21, asked, how often shall I forgive my brother? Up to seven times he thought that was generous. And Jesus replied, no, 70 times seven. And, and, and that doesn't mean 490. It really means without limit. You know, there's a lot of counters in, in, the, in the body of Christ, you know. That's 480. You got 10 more, buddy. <laughs> Amen. Now, let me ask you a question. Would God require us to do something that he himself is unwilling to do? I mean, would God command us to be truthful, yet it's okay for him to tell a lie? Or, or would God require us to be generous or instruct us to be generous, but he's stingy? No. He, he doesn't live by a lower standard that he expects of us. So if God commanded us, if God told us to forgive others, even up to 490 times in a single day, why would he be unwilling to forgive you? Even if you commit the same offense repeatedly over and over again. Are you out there today? He paid a terrible price so that you could be cleansed and forgiven. Why would he pay such a price and then not be willing to forgive you? And if God is ready to forgive sinners who come to him through Christ, why would he turn away his own sons and daughters who seek restoration through the blood? Are you out there today? Let me just tell you this. You do not lose your salvation when you sin. If that was the case, you'd have to be born again again. Most of us would have to get resaved every Sunday. Amen. See, sin spoils our relationship with the Father. It does not sever or destroy. It spoils our fellowship with the Father. Pardon me. It does not destroy our relationship. You see? Now, for example, suppose I tell my son to do something and he disregards it. He just ignores it. So um, I'm not happy with him. Maybe I tell him so. And maybe now he's not happy with me. And maybe at the dinner table, things are a little bit frosty. But he's still my son. He didn't stop being my son just because we have a disagreement. Amen? Amen. God may not always be pleased with everything you do, but he loves you eternally. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. So... When the disciples heard what Jesus said about forgiving others, it's interesting, they immediately blurted out in Luke 17, verse 5, increase our faith. 
It's interesting that they didn't say, give us more love or enlarge our patience. They said, this is gonna take a lot more faith than what we have. And evidently, that wasn't a, a wrong thing to say because Jesus didn't say, hey, faith got nothing to do with it. You see, we give forgiveness and we receive forgiveness by faith the same way. So think about this. The inability to forgive others, I'm talking to believers, the inability to forgive others is a clear indication of a lack of faith. In other words, you may know the Bible in Greek and Hebrew and Shebrew and homebrew, and you can quote it backwards and forwards, but if you hold on to grudges, if you struggle to let go of offense, you don't have as much faith as you think you do. It's real quiet in this Holy Ghost Church. Is anybody out there today? Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 5, we read that some folks brought a paralyzed man to Jesus. And when Jesus saw the man, he said to him, your sins are forgiven. Which is interesting because he didn't come for forgiveness. He came for healing. Not everybody that's sick has sinned. And it would be wrong to make that assumption. But sin will open the door to sickness. And that's one reason why we want to live right before God. Amen. But when Jesus said you're forgiven... The religious rulers who were in the room, they blew a fuse. You know, they blew a gasket. And they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? And this is the interesting thing for me. In verse 23, this is Luke 5, 23, Jesus said to them, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? See, he doesn't mean which is easier to verbalize. Because saying it, it's the same. I mean, you can say these words, you say that word. He means which is easier to do. Well, I would think it's easier to forgive because we can't really tell. We can't really see that. We can all see if the guy's healed. But what he's saying is it's the same. The same power that heals bodies forgives sins. And it's the same process by faith. We don't forgive others by feelings. We forgive them by faith. Can I get an amen? When you're wronged, and by the way, that's going to happen. Welcome to the body. That's going to happen sooner or later. In my church, you know, when we receive new members, the first thing I do is apologize. Sooner or later, somebody's going to say something that you don't like. Somebody's going to do something in offense. So let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. We're sorry. <laughs> we should do that in weddings too, but anyways, let's move on. <laughs> Sooner or later, somebody's going to hurt you. But when you have been wronged, you need to trust God that he will make things right. What anyone did to hurt you cannot compare with what God can do to help you. No matter how far they push you down, he can lift you up. Hallelujah. Several years ago, in our church, you saw briefly the video, that is our church. Several years ago, uh, our church secretary embezzled all of our church funds. 
Within about a month's time, she emptied out the bank account. Uh, she met some guy online. Be careful about that. She met some character online, and she fell in love with him, and he was a con man. And, and, and see, in India, especially at that time, I'm not even sure how it is now, but, but uh, we didn't have online banking. We had to go to the actual bank to get our statements. So, you know, it's harder to check. We should have been more diligent. But um, so uh, she just emptied the thing out. We, when we found out about it, my wife and I were just numb. It's like being in a car crash or something. We just, you know, didn't know what to say. And uh, we, we uh, apprehended her. And we, we, we actually locked her in a room in the church. We're not knowing what to do. And I sent our church advisory board to, to file a case with the police. And it was a Wednesday night. And praise the Lord, we had a guest speaker. <laughs> but I, I couldn't hear a word he was saying because thoughts were flying through my mind like machine gun bullets. And sitting on the front row, pretending to listen, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, forgive her and let her go. And I, being full of the Holy Spirit, full of the word of God, said, no, 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 no. Do not even talk to me. I don't want to hear that. I don't even want to hear that. And then he said again, forgive her and let her go. And I said, I'm having this little discussion on the front row. And I said, all right, I'll forgive her, but she's going to jail. She'll be an old woman when she gets out of there. I'll send her a Christmas card. And God said, forgive her and let her go. And this was the clincher. Then he said to me, I forgave you. And suddenly I remembered a few things and I dropped my rock. And so uh, at that time, my wife was on the front row and she got a, a text message from our church advisory board and they said, the police need some more information. And I told her what God told me. I said, we're not, drop all charges, let her go. But then I had to get up in front of the congregation and tell them what happened. And I was not sure how they would respond. After all, it was their money, the money they gave that's been swindled away. I don't know if they were gonna ride me, you know, drive me out of town, you know, tar and feather me, or what would happen, have a, have a political meeting right there, you know? And um, I told them that I accepted the blame because I should have been more diligent. I should have kept a closer eye. It was a short period of time, but nonetheless, and I told them that if, if it would help, I would resign uh, and, and let someone else take the church, you know. And uh, to my surprise, when I was through speaking, they all came to the front and they just gathered around me. And they reassured me. And there was one man in our church, there's always one guy like this, Pastor Josh. There's one man in our church, he's a bit pharisaical. <laughs> Is he here this morning? Yeah, oh, anyways. And... Um, <laughs> He's a bit pharisaical, and he's kind of, you know, kind of judgmental. And he came, he's, he came right up to me, and I thought, oh, no, here it goes. Here it goes. And with tears in his eyes, he said to me, you're not going anywhere. God sent you here. And to my amazement, he said, it's only money. It's only money. God can restore all that has been lost. 
And he was right. He was right. It took us, it took us years. I'll be honest with you. It, this is in India, but it was almost close to $100,000. In India, that, of course, here, that, I mean, some of you big spenders, that's just a weekend on the ranch. But, but, but you know, but in India, that's a fortune. It took us years to save up that much money. But within a few weeks, all that had been lost was replenished by the giving of the people. And there was, there was no extra push or pull. We just told them, and they gave. In fact, there was one woman in the church. She's kind of, I didn't, didn't really notice her. She's kind of nondescript. She sat on the back row. She, this is India now, Northeast India. She personally gave $20,000. I didn't know she had that much. Let her sit on the front row from now on. I mean, <laughs> So they said in Luke chapter 17, verse 5, they said, increase our faith. Notice this, that Jesus did not answer their request. That is not the way they may have expected. The Bible doesn't say, and then he laid hands on them and, laid hands on them and said, you now have more faith. Or he didn't say, I have prayed that my father would increase your faith. So if he did not answer their prayer for more faith, it stands to reason he won't answer yours either. To pray, God, give me more faith, is to waste your time. Instead, listen carefully, instead he said in verse 6, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, listen, hear me out. Maybe you don't agree with me, but just, just give me a fair hearing, please. Most of the time, whenever I hear this verse preached, people interpret it to mean that you don't need much faith. Just a little dab will do you. A tiny amount can work wonders. And I disagree. First of all, some translations say if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, but in the original Greek, the word size is not there. It just says faith as or like a seed. Think about this. In the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, Paul said, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. He didn't say, and if I have tiny, minuscule faith, to remove mountains. He said, all faith. I know lots of people who have miniature faith and none of them are moving mountains. Are you listening to me? Then, then again, on another occasion, the disciples attempted unsuccessfully to cast a demon out of a little boy and they failed. And so they asked Jesus privately, and it's good to ask Jesus some things privately. They asked Jesus privately, why it didn't work. And he said to them in Matthew 17, verse 20, because of your little faith. Now, some translations like the King James say, because of your unbelief. But once again, the most reliable Greek manuscripts say the, because of the littleness of your faith. They had faith. Otherwise, they would not even have attempted to cast the devil out. But their faith was not enough to get the job done. If the size of your faith doesn't matter, 
Why did Jesus commend some people for having great faith? It does matter. It does matter. Amen. So it's true that a mustard seed is small, but so is a grain of sand. But a grain of sand will never be any bigger than it is right now. But seeds grow. See, we got our eyes on the mustard. Forget about the mustard. The mustard doesn't matter, okay? It's just that that happens to be a very small seed. Think of it this way. We need more faith. If you have faith like a seed. The Williams translation, Charles B. Williams was a Greek scholar. The Williams translation says, if you had faith that grows like a mustard seed. How do seeds grow? By planting them. By planting them. So how do you plant faith like a seed? Well, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus told what is commonly called the parable of the sower, right? And, and he indicated that this is like, this is fundamental. This, like if you don't know this parable, you, you really can't understand all the parables. And he said in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, now the parable is this, or the meaning, or the key to understanding the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. He compared God's word to seed. That means it produces fruit. What is the fruit that is produced from God's word? Well, among other things, faith. Faith. Are you out there today? He sows it how? By speaking it, by preaching it. So Romans 10, 17 says this, and this is a verse that every believer should know. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by sitting and sitting in the church on Sunday morning. says faith comes by hearing the faith problem is a hearing problem some people don't want to hear nothing where are you some people don't want to hear nothing in my own home church in my uh, my, my my church in Nagaland in the church I pastor there's some people I see them on Sunday morning they're staring off into space digging their nose you know they're they're, I don't know, they pretend it's their Bible app, but, uh, you know, we also can see your social media, you know. <laughs> and then, then, then when the service is over, they walk up to you and say, Pastor, pray that I'll have more faith. I'll pray that God would have mercy on your lazy bones. You need to hear. You need to hear. Amen. So we could paraphrase Romans ten seventeen. so then faith comes by sowing the seed of God's word. Hallelujah. So how does the seed of God's word produce faith? Well, in another place in Mark chapter uh, four, Jesus compared the kingdom of heaven to a man sowing seed. And it says he sows his seed, you know, he, he goes to bed, he wakes up in the morning and he doesn't even know how the seed produces. You don't have to be Albert Einstein to plant seeds. Because the earth produces fruit of itself. See, when the word enters your heart, your heart knows what to do with it. The seed will germinate in the soil of your heart. Hallelujah. So imagine, imagine this. Imagine some of the church members here at Wave. And maybe, maybe there's, there's one who's like a, a farmer. 
okay? And so he invites the pastoral staff to come to his field and pray, you guys pray, you pray that, that I'll have a bumper crop this year. And so the, the church staff, you know, Brother Robert, Brother Mark, and, and, and all the others, they, they, they pray fervently, you know. Maybe they even do a Jericho march around that field, you know. They claim, you know, abundance. And then after the prayer, maybe one of them asks the church member, by the way, brother, what did you plant? And he says, nothing. That's why I asked you to pray. We don't need to pray for the field. We need to lay hands on your head. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. So it comes by sowing the seed of God's word. Amen. Again, notice this. If you had faith like a seed, you could say. You could say. Faith is intrinsically connected to words. It comes from God's word what he has said, and then that word must be spoken. See, owning a Bible, putting a Bible on your coffee table doesn't give you faith. Holding it under your arm as you walk proudly on Sunday morning doesn't give you faith, right? You've got to, you have to have the knowledge of that word. Someone has to speak that word. You speak it yourself, and then when you speak God's word, you're also hearing it. Your faith will increase when you say the same thing that God says. When you, when you agree with God, the problem is many Christians are constantly disagreeing with God. The Bible says one thing, but you say something else. Let me help you out. If you and God disagree about something, one of you is right and one of you is wrong. Wanna take a guess which one is wrong? <laughs> Just take a wild guess. <laughs> Amen. God's always right. Write this down in your notebook if you're taking notes. Don't forget it. Write it down. Are you ready? God is smarter than you. Let that be a revelation to some of you. Amen. If you had faith like a seed, you would, you would say, the sower sows the word. You would say, speak God's word. Continually agree with what God has said. And the word say in this verse, in the Greek language, is in the imperfect tense. What does that mean? It means not a single event, but a process, an ongoing thing. So some translations say you would have been saying, continually saying, repeatedly saying. So sometimes people say the right thing on Sunday and the wrong thing on Monday. Some people say the right thing when the skies are blue and the birds are singing. But when the thunder clouds roll in, they start saying a bunch of wrong things. Amen. Where are you, God? God doesn't change with the weather. Why are you, why have you left me? He said, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. I feel so alone. It doesn't matter how you feel. He's with you. He has not abandoned you. You need to believe that and you need to say that. So William F. Burton was an English missionary to the Congo in Africa. And he became ill. And when the doctors there in the Congo 
operated on him, operated on him, they discovered his body was full of cancer. So they stitched him up and they sent him to England where doctors maybe would have a better chance of working on him. They said he had one year to live. So Burton spent the next several months traveling across the Congo bidding a tearful goodbye to all his friends and, and colleagues. And one evening, as he was just uh, reading the word of God, he happened to notice Isaiah 53, verse 5, which says, by his stripes we are healed. And he realized this, though he's a Pentecostal missionary and an evangelist, he had never even thought of asking God to heal him. Hmm, it's interesting. That word really went into his heart, and he began to tell his friends and everyone he met, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. He decided to go back to England for a much-needed rest. In fact, as he boarded the ship and friends were there to see him off, from the deck of that ship, he waved to them and they heard his voice in the bay as he traveled onward saying, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. When he got to England, the doctors opened him up and said, we don't know why those doctors in the Congo sent you to us. There's no cancer in your body. You're completely healed. He went back to Africa where he ministered for many more years, and I believe he, he went home to be with the Lord in 1971 at about the age of 85. Hallelujah. One more thing. If you had faith like a seed, you could say to this mulberry tree or sycamine tree, if you're sick of yours, I'm sick of mine. You could say to this sycamine tree, be uprooted. Now, it's interesting He's still talking about forgiveness. Why would he refer to a mulberry tree? This particular tree was very prevalent in the Middle East. And the mulberry tree, and I don't know this, I, I, I checked different resources, but the mulberry tree grows in dry ground and has a deep root system. We are more susceptible to harboring unforgiveness in our hearts when we become spiritually dry. Don't look at anybody, just look straight ahead. I said, when we become spiritually dry, that's when we suddenly, you know, it's, it, we find it harder, we struggle to let go of things, to forgive people, amen? And the roots of this mulberry tree run deep. Unforgiveness will affect you more than you may realize. See, on the surface, everything may look great, but inside, there's trouble. You listening to me? Smith Wigglesworth, a great man of God, said this. There are many good people, people that mean well, but they have no power to do anything for God. There is just some little thing that came in their hearts years ago, and their faith has been paralyzed ever since. The fruit of the mulberry tree is bitter, and it was only eaten by poor people. See, unforgiveness will poison you. And here's the thing, if you don't deal with it, it will poison everybody else you know. 
If you don't let God, let God heal you of your hurt, you will bleed on everyone else. Amen? And, and you will not experience God's richest blessings. It'll make you poor if you harbor unforgiveness. So you're doing yourself a favor. Then the mulberry tree was pollinated by the stinger of a wasp. Unforgiveness is a trick of the enemy. See, think about it. The devil works on both sides of the situation. He may move somebody, like somebody that you work with, some colleague, family member, to, to say something that's unkind or hurtful or to do something that harms you. And then when that happens, he tells you, now if I were you, I would never forgive that person. And a lot of Christians say, that's right. What is the devil your best friend now? He's your counselor in life. <laughs> He's not trying to help you. He's trying to destroy you. Are you listening to me? But we are not ignorant of his devices. We're not going to allow the enemy to gain an advantage over us. Just as we have been forgiven, we shall forgive others. Some people say, some people say I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. Aren't you glad that that's not the way God forgave you? He said, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Amen. Lastly, the wood from the mulberry tree was used to make caskets. See, that's interesting that he would choose this mulberry tree. Unforgiveness is a killer. It's a killer. Don't hold on to it. Amen. Lastly, in the verses that follow, Jesus talked about a servant who simply obeyed his master, followed the instructions that were given him. And he asked the question, when the servant obeys, does the master thank him? And the, impl and the implication is probably not. So likewise, the point is, so likewise you, when you forgive others, don't wait to be applauded. Don't, don't stand in line to get a medal. Don't bother if nobody appreciates it. But he said, you should say, we are servants and we're doing what was only our duty to do. Hallelujah. Faith and forgiveness, they go together.